the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. I am back now. That's, that is to say Jesse Gistand. And uh, the lines are open. All the lines are open. one 367 One more hour to go. Let's, let's talk about it. I, I'm willing to take your questions and comments on this Monday edition of Lifeline. I don't know how much you uh, enjoyed our, 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 our discourse in the previous hour, but um, we, can, we can talk about it. Um, I was thinking also one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you want to call in, um, I was thinking also about the Florida shooting at Douglas High School a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> and uh, I thought to myself, how 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 do Christians look at and address those matters? Um, how should they and how should we respond? I had a number of questions, and I'd love to hear from you. How do the believer, how does the believer process and respond to an evil like that in the Florida shooting? I think there were some 14 young people that were killed uh, in that high school by that young deranged man that obviously we come to find out um, he had mental problems, but he had also um, he had given balloon tests and signals way beforehand. Um, but my question to you, and I want to hear from you on this, how do how does the believer process and respond to an evil like that in Florida? Process it, whether personally or on a larger public public level, like I want to do with you now, if you want to call one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Um how do you how do you process it? Obviously we would all rush to prayer first. Great, got it. But I would ask you the question, how would you process it? For what? Or pray about it. Uh, pray for what? And, 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 and why pray? Pray for what? And, and why? Why why pray for what we will pray if we, we're going to pray? And I, I do believe in prayer, obviously. You know that. Um, but what else might we do given this kind of behavior that now is starting to take on a pathology, a, a pattern, a consistency? What if we are moving into an era where this kind of copycat crime is going to take place more and more because there are underlying issues that are not really truly being addressed? How does the believer in Christ, who is also uh, either part of a family as a young person or married with children who may also be subjecting their children to public school, as did myself and my wife for many years, uh, it could have easily happened at the schools that our kids were at. Easily happened. Um, in some of our schools, there were a couple hundred. At other of our schools, there were thousands for our kids. We did do, do homeschooling as well, um, which was great. But when we put them in school in order to prepare, prepare them for college, it could have easily happened. So what do you do when you're a Christian parent and your kids are in a school where this kind of volatility um, is, is possible uh, and, and, and now the conversation is happening. Please tell me what you are thinking about this. Or are you sticking your head in the sand as if it won't happen to you or your children? one 367 And if you pray, what else might we do, children of God? 
What else are we obligated to do as we traverse this world, as we travel this world, as we move through this world as pilgrims and strangers? God has called us to be in this world in in an impactful way, and I think you agree with that. And if nothing else, would you not as parents think of your own kids being in those schools and possibly something happening? Would you be then inclined to want to prepare a methodology by which they could communicate with you and you communicate with them and then to tell them what they should do? But if you're going to do that, you're going to build a build a system of safety, safety and um, uh, and response to those kinds of events. Are you not going to also then make sure that um, the kids are prepared at home and that that your preparation model is really one that works? That means are you not going to also get some information and data as to some of the best approaches? Uh, how how about inform ourselves about the matter in such a deep and profound way so that we have actually an answer to these things? So not only are we going to pray, uh, we might also inform ourselves about these matters uh, to determine uh, the relevance of these things socially and personally. Because I've, what I've discovered with Christians is when we don't smell the gunpowder, when we don't see the dead bodies— when we don't feel the trepidation that comes from it being near us, well, really nothing changes. The normalcy bias in our life keeps us doing what we do until the trauma comes our way. Um, and also, if we're talking about our teens, if a teen is listening, how would you as a young teenager respond to uh, the Florida event as well as Columbine and all the other ones that have come up uh, within your own right? How do you go about navigating school, watching people, discerning behaviors that are a little bit uh, odd, anomalous, predictable, uh, inconsistent, precarious? The proverb talks about watching out for those that are given to change. Um, Generally, children uh, will actually act out way before they do something seriously. And and how are our young people uh, engaging social media on that level? Uh, And how are you parents engaging your children on social media? One of the rules, uh, Daughters of Grace Ministries, we did a couple of months ago was around um, being prayerful, thoughtful, and careful about um, our children in school and and, and recognizing that our children uh, are exposed to bullying exposed to all sorts of behavior patterns that are not good. And sometimes our kids will shut down on us because the school and their peers uh, and the framework of the environment that they're in is anti-home. And what I mean by that, if the schools are set up in in such a radical anti-biblical model, and not all of them are, the ones that we've been a part of did not show any overt uh, monolithic trending in terms of the whole school staff and, and principal to just kind of want to take our children and uh, extricate them from the influences and authority of the parents. There are schools that do that. Colleges do that for sure. But um, uh, what about our young people? How do they engage their peers when they're pressured by their peers to do something or else? Or, uh, you know, the group dynamic that our kids are inclined to want to be a part of just to be accepted, which also might indicate that our children are followers versus leaders. There is so much to talk about in regards to the implications 
of this matter of the Florida event and Columbine and the others uh, relative to how we are going to stay in the world and be relevant in the world and be gospel uh, centered in the world, salt and light, that I'd love to hear from you. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'm going to take a break, and when I come back, I'll take your phone calls. I'd like to know how you address these matters. If you do, I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. We're back, and the time is six twenty on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I've got three lines open. I want to hear from y'all. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'd love to hear from new people, but certainly you uh, veteran callers. This is actually a germane topic. Um, what would you do if your child were in a school situation here locally that was um, a- attacked, assaulted uh, relative to someone wanting to harm them physically or kill them? How would you prepare for that? How would you engage that? And what would your response be subsequent to that kind of activity? I've got on my screen 14 people who were killed, mostly young people, 14, 15, 17 years old. And it's tragic to look at it. And if this was one of my children, I would probably be engaged in some kind of campaign around it. So I want to hear from you. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Is prayer merely all we are supposed to do um, to stave off the possibility here? Is the root of the problem what's going on in the school? Or is the root of the problem what's going on in our law enforcement culture? Is the root of the problem what's going on in politics or is the root of the problem what's going on in the home? Now, it's easy to start blaming. I got that. I just want to talk about it. one 888 Can we start with a premise? And that premise is this, that our children that are in the schools are largely a product of the home and therefore, if we are doing a proper job at home, it can mitigate a lot of the potential harm that goes on at school. Would that be a legitimate thesis? If our children who are the products of our homes are the consequence of an environment that is uh, rooted in sound moral ethical principles, a loving set of boundaries and mutual relationship between parents and children so that our children are respectful and thoughtful and know how to engage authorities at home, at school, because they do it at home. Is that a solution to the problem so that the kids that are acting out and the kids that are engaging are not doing it because, well, there's a level of satisfaction in the home. And here's another question to boot that I want to bring to the table because the president wants to give guns to the teachers and guns to the uh, superintendent and guns to the president and guns in the school to stave it off. Now, I I can tell you you, what you're looking at is, is present day Israel. With all the evil that goes on there, you're looking at present-day Israel. Now, I've got three lines open, one 888 Let's talk about this, one 888 How would you grannies 
would want to care about, provide for, and supply your grandkids who are in school with resources to be able to handle this kind of situation. And if you are sitting around the table with your family, and the young people are really worried, they're, they're maybe they're in a good school or maybe they're in a crazy school too, and they got a little sense that mom and daddy don't know, but the very same thing that happened in Florida could happen in our school, but mom and daddy are not talking about it. And mom and daddy are not engaging their kids uh, at the level of helping them work through uh, negotiating those kind of difficult times way before it happens. And here's the question that I want to ask you before we go to the phone lines. And I've got three lines open. One, triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. Give me a call. Here's the question I want to raise. Are guns the solution? Are they part of the solution? Or are they not a solution at all? I want to hear from the Christian thinker. one 367 Are guns the solution? Are they partial solutions? Or are they no solution at all? I mean, right now, the president is not getting a whole lot of traction on his policy of turning this into the wild, wild west. And listen, I want to go back to my premise. I, I think that our schools often reflect our homes. And that to the degree that there is a, a a vibrant, robust attention of our children on the level of boundaries, morals, ethics, relational interaction between parents, so that when they're out in the public, they respect authority and they have discernment. They have discriminating discernment with those people or their peers who may be more unstable and know how to Um, circumvent and avoid any kind of conflict that would exacerbate that young person wanting to act out. Is this not a legitimate conversation that I'm raising? Would this not be the kind of conversation you would have around the table with your 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 year old and then begin to ask them what they think, how they would deal with it and, and then begin to arm them with the method by which they deal with it? Wouldn't you want this kind of conversation? Well, let's have it. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let me go to line one and talk with Teresa in Los Gatos. Hi, Teresa. Hi, Pastor Gary. Thank you. I was listening to all that you were talking about, and um, so we did have those conversations around the the table. My Excellent. children are seven in first grade, and Excellent. my son is nine and a half. Excellent. And I do have the privilege, although I must say we've sacrificed. We don't live, you know, I drive an old car. We don't take, we don't get the vacations that everyone else around has. But we, because I want to be with my kids. I'm 48 years old. I didn't work my whole life to then have someone else raise my children. Right, right. So that's the value I have. And I, and in this world, you cannot afford not to be having those conversations because they come up in the car on the way home from school. They come up on the way to school. They come up at the dinner table. They don't come up just because you ask a question. You have to be present. Right. You so, have to. So. so so tell me, what's give me a framework for what you're doing that, that caused, caused you to resonate with this conversation. Um, because I'm just surprised the phones are not ringing off the hook. We should be having this conversation because uh, life is really about agree. raising kids. How, what is, where, uh, is the school that your kid's in? Uh, low risk for this kind of thing because of your choice? Or is it really just, you know, you we got to make sure that our kids understand the volatility and then how to negotiate it? How is that for you? Yeah, nothing is low risk anymore. It doesn't matter what school you're in, where you are. If anyone thinks that they are 
exempt from the world that we find ourselves in. They're, they're fooling themselves. Agreed. Agreed. And uh, we had conversations. I basically said, I, you know, it pierces my heart when I hear my child say, I heard that such and such someone was saying at school that this happened. Because truthfully, at first, I don't know what to say because this is new for me. And I said, son, I just say, son, I'm really sorry. The world you're growing up in has, and I, I lay out some of the evils that are in it. And we talk about good and evil a lot. Yeah. That's... And this is the generation you're growing up in, son. I did reach out to the principal and I said, uh, who is who is a principled man, and I can tell he's a Christian, though he doesn't, you know, it's a public school. Which is the right thing for him to do. And he is a wonderful man. And I said, I sent him an article from Reader's Digest about a teacher that every Friday has the kids write down, uh, like, for example, who would they have liked to play with this week? Who did they have a conversation with? Who did something kind? Who did something that surprised you that maybe wasn't? She doesn't share it with them, but she looks at it. That's great. I shared that with the principal. I also offered to start a parent group where we can talk, start talking about this because I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of people around here, they're wrapped up and working at Google and Yahoo with their fancy cars and their fancy homes, and they are oblivious. That's why you're not getting the calls. I know. They have, they're, they're know. not even, their lives have been so blessed, they don't even realize what's knocking on their front door, and that's why I called. No, I, listen, uh, Teresa, I appreciate, appreciate you. Have you ever called before? No, but I've listened and laughed many times. Thanks for making me laugh. Yeah, listen, I I, I actually and thank you. I thank you for calling because you're spurring one caller beside you. Um, this is an amazing thing to me because on a larger level, I'm seeing some spiritual frameworks being developed that kind of scare me. Uh, Aldous Huxley, I read that years ago, The Brave New World. I'm sure you know about it. Um, he warned about, they warned about these kinds of things occurring in these last days where, um, where there's a breakdown at the foundational level and that the educational system was not going to be um, a safe place for our kids because of the underlying philosophy and worldviews that they are uh, inculcating versus um, respect, social decorum, morals and ethics um, that allows us to have maintain an, an integrated relationship between the parents and the teachers. You have to be intentional like you are to make sure that um, that we don't drop the ball and then we look up and something bad happened. But you know what I really uh, am thankful for? The model of that teacher that you gave that said that he or she, whomever that may have been, uh, was able to talk to the kids and get the kids to speak up and talk about things. And that way he could he could, he could could actually get an assessment of what the social dynamics are going on in his class. Oh, yes. Yes, I got that from my, my daughter has type 1 diabetes, and I got that information from the lady who's been helping me advocate for my daughter at the school. So I've learned a lot about advocacy. God put me, I have to advocate for an elderly father who's being taken advantage of. I have to advocate for my daughter. So I feel strongly I'm going to pray. I don't know what God's going to lead me to do, but I'll tell you one thing. The first time there's a shooting around here, my kids are homeschooled. Yes. I'm not going to, I, we can't change we can bring salt and light. You're absolutely right. I do yard duty every day. I lean down and talk to the kids so I can tell. They're walking home from school along there in after daycare. I always ask them, how are you? And I smile and talk to them. That's my little ministry I do, little mission so I can be near my daughter. But you're doing, I, you're doing a fabulous job, uh, Teresa. Listen, you're doing a fabulous job, and that is really what 
um, what our mothers should be doing. Exactly what you're doing. It's going to pay off in massive dividends. Believe you me, it's going to pay off. And I agree with you. We don't preach a gospel that says we're going to save the world and change the world per se, but we can be sought in light and we can reach one here and there. And we are certainly called upon to be as maximally um, uh, responsible for our own kids as absolutely possible. So your perspective is great. Oh, thank you, Pastor Gary. All right. It's actually Jesse, Pastor Jesse. Oh, forgive me. I'm so sorry, Jesse Stan. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. That's right. Which Gary Gary are you talking about? (laughs) And the other thing is God is the solution. There is the guns aren't the solution. Oh, there we go. There we go. How do we we even, I mean, all we can do is, I love these grand ideas of what it can do, but only God can do that. And he's coming back and this is all unfolding. So all we can do is keep doing what we can do, but we got to homeschooler kids. They're in danger and they're going to put black gates all around the school. I don't want to go to a school every day where it's a pr- it feels like a prison yard. And it's actually already a prison socially and, and mentally, but those yeah. bars, those bars coming up are going to be, oh, this, uh, yeah, um, it's going to be the prison systems that we see uh, in lots of states where it's hyper-controlled by law enforcement and in Israel. It's just, that's the way that it is. We're headed that way, young lady, and you're right. I never While, thought about that piece and that. Oh, you're yeah. right. It's going to be yeah i I know the paradigm from just understanding prophecy believe me bless you thank you for the call when i come back i'll take dana and hayward i've got three lines open one triple eight three six seven five three two nine Teresa is doing a great job i mean a great job we'll be right back and now back to lifeline with jesse gistand and we're back at the time, 636, on the Monday edition of Lifeline. One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Love to hear from you. Let me go to line number two and talk with Dana and Hayward. Hi, Dana. Hi, Pastor Jesse. This is Dana. Yeah, what's Hi, your Dana. thoughts about our topic? Yes. So, Steve was listening today, too. He had something to say also. But, excellent, excellent. Um, you know, I work in schools. Right, and right. Uh, I've been a teacher for 20 years, mm-hmm. and this topic has, you know, obviously near and dear to us. But what I, and this is just my opinion, mm-hmm. but what I've seen a trend, particularly in the types of schools that I work at. Okay. I work in the private school sector. Right. So it feels as if teachers have less and less authority in the classroom. Right. And the classrooms are being more controlled by parents than than teachers so to speak particularly in the private um realm uh and i i honestly feel like everything you said about the root of the problem is at home like president trump is crazy about trying to give us guns we don't want guns Uh okay we barely get paid enough to do the job we have we already talked you want to talk about giving us guns uh, i mean that's ridiculous right it's absolutely ridiculous all that's going to do is cause more problems, yep. more yep. accidents. Yep. It's a horrible idea. Yep. Um, the problem is we have a bunch of kids who are not able to handle failure. Right. And they don't know how to deal with rejection or deal with failure. They're not. I just see really soft kids being formed and Amazing. developed. Amazing. And we're always coddling and always telling them how great they are, which is good. I'm not saying that that's not bad, right. that it's all bad, right. but there's got to be a balance to it. Yep, I agree. And particularly where I am right now, there is no balance. Mm-hmm. There is no balance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been 
already put aside and told that I'm too stern right. with my students. And right. I don't understand that concept. Right. Like, what do you mean too stern? They, they can't be allowed to do things and receive no consequences. They get warned all the time, but there's never a consequence that actually happens when they're doing something wrong. Life's not like that. Nope. There has to be consequence or else you're developing a kid that believes that they can do whatever they want and face no consequences for it. And, and when and when they bump up against um, a, a a a an immutable co- uh, consequent or wall that does not bow down to them and let them do what they want, they're going to act out like Haman in extremism and want to destroy everybody. Right, because they're not able to handle it. They can't cope with it. Right, right. And we're not doing them a, a service. We're doing a disservice. And I always think about that movie. Remember the Titans with Denzel Washington. Sure. There was a scene in there where um, the other coach that, that, that he had gone to that um, school to take over from right. was taking one of his players and kind of coddling him. Sure. And and the, and then Nizzle pulled him aside and said, you think you're helping this kid? You're cutting his legs off. Right. You, you think you're helping him, but you're not. Right. You're handicapping him. Right. And that's what I feel like we're kind of doing because we're allowed we, in our area, you know, caller before I mentioned – um, the parents that were for Yahoo and Google, sure, and sure. they are aware. I mean, I have a lot of those parents. Sure. It's not that they don't care and they're not aware. They are aware. Um, but I think the mentality their generation grew up with um, was a lot of coddling, and that's kind of coming through with their kids, too. And they just don't know what to do with them. Right. So I Ther- really, really, really believe that. Right. Teresa so is I right. think we could help them if we would not... Treat the schools so much as a business, which is kind of where you wouldn't in the private sector. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of that because obviously you have to stay open and so you, you cater to the parent. Sure. But there has to be a balance between catering to the parent and really training your child to be a great human being and a balanced human being. Right. I you love know, that. We're missing that. We, I love we, that. We really are missing that. I love that. Training them to be a great human being and a balanced human being. I, I, I love that. That's absolutely right. That That is going to get them back centered in the Imago Dei um, and, and be able to actually be uh, socially responsible. But that that will require some some returning to fundamental principles that are Judeo-Christian in their foundation and, and moving into a larger progressive, liberal progressive model that that's that's just untenable. We will set ourselves up for massive destruction before we have to go back there. So what did your husband, Steve, want to contribute to this topic or observation? What did you want to add? Pastor Jesse's asking. You got to come over here, Steve. You're on the radio. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. That's right. Earlier, there was a point made about... uh, Tell him I can hear him. ...states that are already allowing... uh, teachers to have guns in the schools. Yeah. But what they failed to mention is that those states, although those teachers are doing that, that those states are permitted to carry weapons. Those are uh, carry weapon states. Of course. So, so the, the beef on that is like mute, you know. So I just 
That's just the point I had. Right. No, the your point is well taken on a legislative policy level, Steve, right. meaning meaning that most of our states, particularly California, ain't going for nothing like that. You have to right. overthrow so many amendments in order to get that passed through. And, 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 our, and our Congress is just not going to do it, not only here, but in Washington. The idea that that President uh, Trump was uh, proffering you guys really is about setting us up for what's going to happen 10 years from now. I told T- Teresa this. And again, Aldous Huxley wrote a book called Brave New World, and he talked about all of this evil breaking out in our world and its domination of our children. Uh, this is prophecy fulfilling itself. We don't have to stick our heads in the sand. We have to do what we have to do while the storm heads our way. But we can uh, we can know that it's going to be increasingly worse. Now, there's going to be a time where it's so bad that it will be reasonable uh, to have guns in the school because the the variance between uh, uh, children and and parents and authorities is going to be the very fruit of a liberal progressive ideology that fundamentally uh, disbars uh, uh, authorities over the children. The children rule. This is Isaiah chapter 3. Uh, in apostate times, uh, children will be your rulers uh, and babes will be your oppressors. This is turning right. things upside down. And that's where we're headed in our culture, as you know, um, uh, where punishment and taking away children occur if you if you if you discipline them. So, uh, but, but Pat, Mr. Trump is simply talking about what's going to happen down the line. That's a balloon test. He knows it won't happen in his term. He knows it won't happen in states where they don't have those kind of carry around uh, uh, gun laws. It won't happen there. It is happening in states, as you said, parts of Texas and other states where that's normal and lawful. Um, But to create a world where um, the teachers carrying guns, the parents carrying guns, uh, at some point, you know, in high school, the children will be old enough to carry guns and we're back at the the wild wild west days right. when Absolutely. the when the real problem is uh is really to be started in the home and it's philosophical you guys it's this is ideological the problem is uh, we have a worldview that thinks it can get along without god's standards and that's we have it. to recognize that right. that's it that's right. it back in my day you got the paddle uh, <laughs> when you got out of line you got the paddle at school and then you got it when you got home uh, you mean uh, our days, brother? Our days. That's what I'm saying. Back in our days. That's right. You, you listen. I, re, you know, I still. I, out, and now the kids are just running rampant, and it's just. Yeah. You know, then they got those violent video games that that are you know getting in their, their minds. It's, it's just. Longstone Matt. Uh, a ton of facilitators towards the disraveling, uh, unraveling of our society. You've got it right. Thanks for the call, you guys. I've got to take a break. When I come back, I'll deal with uh, Micah in Oakland and Sally in uh, Marin County. See, we're starting to talk about it. You are bright people, and we've got to have the conversation. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. And we are back. The time six forty nine. Let's go to line number one and talk with Mika in Oakland. Mika, are you there? Hello. Hello. Do we have our caller on the line? I am. Okay. Good How are you doing? Good evening. I'm good. Thank you. Excellent. What's Thank your... you. So, yeah. So about the topic on tonight, um, on concerning just the whole issue about the mass shootings in the schools. Mm-hmm. which are just a devastation. I just thought of the scripture that says, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. Yep. And um, one to him who calls evil good and good evil. Mm-hmm. And just 
considering like the root cause is really multifaceted and it's all impacted by the fact that we're suffering a major moral decay um, in our society, uh, the breakdown of family, um, the work-life balance as far as parenting. Um, and kids are pretty much raising themselves um, these days and are able to, I mean, the cell phones, Internet, they're able to access all kinds of things and they're being impacted by that. And, um, you know, and just mainly, too, just the exchanging for the truth, for relativism. I agree with you fully. <clears throat> um, that observation is just uh, insightful, is biblical, and then it's insightful. And what you are stating is not only what the scriptures have prophesied, quoting quoting the passage you did, Proverbs sixteen thirty five. There is a way that seems good unto a man. The end of there are always the ways of death. It's a culture of death on so many levels: the death of healthy, vital family relationships, the death of the <clears throat> respect for young people and authorities, the death of um, of sound moral ethical principles that are consistent with reality versus, as you had stated, a postmodern uh, relativism that fundamentally asserts that uh, every man is a law to himself. And that's nothing but, as you and I know, chaos, and that's the Babylonian system. Um, that's mm-hmm. where we are today, and the believer has to be able to negotiate, negotiate his way through it. How um, are you? Do you have children? I don't. Okay. I don't have children. Did you ever no. have any? What's that? Did you ever have any children? No, okay. no, not ever. So, so was that intentional on your part? <clears throat> no, no. Okay. I'm, I'm. Uh, I, I look definitely forward to being married and having children one day when the Lord sees fit for that to happen. Okay. Well, that's and so you see. Well, I would, I'm just asking because. Um, you have a very clear view on what's going on, and you're still, like some of us, uh, willing to engage that that beautiful institution institution of of the union of marriage and proliferation, uh, and 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 negotiate that in the midst of all this. So, how would you prepare for that, or what would you do in relationship to that day should it come? Um, yeah, just continue to search the scriptures and try to implement them in my personal life yeah. and just practice what the Word says and, and do pretty much as um, it says in Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, because at the end of the day, <laughs> we're only responsible for ourselves and, um, you know, and those around us that we can impact. Like, I don't have children, but I have lots of nieces and nephews, and I also work with younger people yeah. um, at least once a week. So yeah, I definitely yeah. just try to be a light and um, just an encouragement to them and just try to sow more than anything by example um, just the right way to live. And, like, I get calls from young people um, and also questions asked by me. Sometimes they'll just come up at my house or ask if they could call me to ask questions. I just really try to lead them into what the Word says. Well, you're and doing... So you're... I just... Um, Go on. Oh, no, I was just saying, you know, because God knows what He wants each and every one of us to do. We mm-hmm. may not be called to save the world, but we can impact, you know, what who whoever is around us. We can impact our sphere of influence. And so that's what I just want to be responsible for 
you know, as God gives that responsibility. Mm-hmm. You're do, you're doing the work, and I want to I want to commend you for that, honor you for that. That's what we're supposed to do. And uh, <clears throat> you're another soldier out there with a very clear head, and uh, it's a pleasure to have talk with you. Uh, the Lord bless you. Amen. Thank you. All right, let me go to Thank my you, Pastor Jeffy. You too, sis. Let me go to uh, um, Sister Sally on line four in Marin County. Hi, Sally. Hi. Well, uh, we just got buzzed. I don't know why the station does this at quarter to six. Yeah, it does or that. Or quarter to seven or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, schools were, as you described, they should be before 1950. Mm-hmm. And I've been connected with the public schools from 1935 until 1980. When I was in school in San Francisco, you could walk into the school and you would have to go down the hall to the principal's office. The door was closed. I think you could go anywhere in the school, mm-hmm. and nobody would have any problem. But then the kids were taught to respect God, respect their parents, uh, respect their teachers. And if they were out of line, they were to take their punishment with yeah. a stiff upper lip. Yeah. yeah, I've never heard of people having all these uh, panic attacks nowadays. We never, nobody ever had a panic attack hmm. until probably after 2000. Maybe, maybe occasionally there were. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, if every man, oh, by the way, earlier today, the description of leadership was given, and it is taking the initiative for the benefit of others. If every father, if every man would learn to love God with all his heart, etc., and he would not uh, have any sex, and he would not get married until he could hold up a job and take care of his own house, and then he would not marry a woman until she had had some work experience and knew how to take care of herself. And then when they got married, the woman would probably be very, very happy to stay at home, and they would be financially able to to allow her to be home. I like that model. I like that model. I would start it earlier, though. I would make sure that both the um, the um, young man and the young woman are are engaging in uh, uh, vocational uh, skills at 13, 14, 15, 16, because I believe that the chronological clock that is best for raising kids is young, not older. Um, but that model is good. In other words, it's the biblical model, Sally. From the Old Testament, it's very clear that young men were taught how to work. Young women were taught how to... How to model and govern the home, but they were also working as well because Israel was an agricultural country. So that hard work was a fundamental integrated ethic among them. So by the time they got married, they actually had a nest egg of uh, not only financial resources given from the family because you, you often had your own lot of land. And you had your own resources to provide for the land. All of that was an integrated process for the Israelite. But that's a larger covenant framework. We we, we call it the commonwealth of the kingdom. And, and it should be apl- applied here as well. If we were going to do the model that you're talking about, and I fully agree with it, I would do it early on. I would, I would, I would leave off with the notion that 
kids have to go to college for four years at 19, 20, 21, 22, and then work for five years until they're 27, 28, because they're not going to remain celibate. They're not going to remain sexually pure and sexually um, uh, moral. They're not going to do it up to that age. The, every All the statistics have proven it, and the only, the only reason that we've been able to survive it uh, up to this point is because of abortions and pills that have killed the baby. You know that that's the case. That's the reason why the enemy brought that uh, option in so that we could delay the marriage process and therefore delay the propagation process. But I would completely submit myself to a biblical model that had them marry young, uh, but also train them young by competent parents that would teach them how to be grown by the time they're 16 years old. That would be a world that God would bless and he would honor that. Chores have to be learned at home. Yep. All of that. And my dad went out and found his jobs when we were teenagers, even though they were short, short lived. Of course. And how many fathers would take that time now? I, I just, uh, I am just amazed. The world is so fast. Nobody has any time to do anything. I've got an example of what you're talking about. My, uh, one of my sons was in a, uh, a class to do welding mm-hmm. in junior high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, middle, well, it was junior high. Sure. And um, so the teacher called me and said, uh, would you come in? I want to talk to you and your son. So I went in, and he said, you know that your son got burned by one of the other students. And I said, yes, and that is very unacceptable. Now, Sally, you hear that noise? They're cutting you and me off. I want to hear the story. (laughs) Until next time, the Lord bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you his peace. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.